everybody. Uh, welcome back. We're doing Kickers of Elves on Lynch. Uh, and yeah, uh, my name is Wade Bowen. And, you know, we got Kickers of Elves here. We got me. We got James Nolan. Hey, guys. And we got Hugh Crawford. Hello. And... We were almost at we were almost at rules of acquisition timing there, but you had to fuck it up. Oh, I got the timing right for the first time. Well, my I, my AirPods thought wanted to connect to my Mac because I made eye contact with my Mac. Stop but, staring at your. <laughs> stop changing your eyes. Don't, stop moving. Don't your look eyes. at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> don't you <laughs> fucking look at me. <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, I'm Hugh Crawford. Yeah, we're talking about Blue Velvet tonight. Right? That's right. Uh, blue Blue Velvet. Um, it, uh, let's see, I have the IMDb description right here. It does not have the air date, which is weird. It usually has the premiere date right on here, but um, it was, it's a 1986 film. Yes. And here is right. the IMDb description. The discovery of a severed human ear found in a field leads a young man on an investigation related to a beautiful, mysterious nightclub singer and a group of psychopathic criminals who have kidnapped her child. Say that's very similar to the uh, stars uh, description, but it's not. <laughs> You'll never forget Frank. <laughs> You'll never forget point. Frank. <laughs> Which is true. I, I don't think I ever will forget Frank. No, I, yeah, he stuck with me even when I didn't remember the rest of the movie. Uh, Dennis Hopper's sorry. Frank is the most memorable thing about this, right? Oh, oh god. And this was like a big, like, I mean, just to give, like, in his career, this was sort of like a big moment because he had been washed up for a long time. He. Like, I think he went on, like, after Apocalypse Now, he went on a heroin binge that, like, I think was pretty epic. Yes, this is and the first thing he did. Head. He did post-rehab. Yeah. And so he came back, and this was his big comeback movie. Oh, I thought you were talking about David Lynch. I was like, what, Dune was only, what, 84, 85? Well, this was his big, well, that was, that's also. It was his comeback, too. It yeah. was his big comeback, too. In in a real way, this is the first, it's not the first David Lynch piece is like a statement of him as an artist, but I think it's the first movie that's Lynchian, like what we mean when we mean Lynchian. Right. Yeah. I saw that even at some yeah. of the commentary on the movie that I was reading. It's like, oh, this is where he established what Lynchian was. Okay. I, yeah. I agree with that. However, having looked mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. looked back, you know, in succession of the, the previous three films, um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've all watched Elephant elephant man dune and eraser head there are yes. plenty of the lynchian hallmarks yeah. in those oh, yeah. in those movies oh, that yeah. if you know with what you're but it does seem to be like a concrete like aesthetic here mm-hmm. right for the first time yeah there's there's visual motifs that he's done in all of his films but now there's ex i don't know mm. there's extra stuff because then after this was twin peaks right and this is almost yeah, proto Twin Peaks. This is in some ways. Right? Some ways twi- this would have been somehow they would have. If this was made today, this would have been in the same cinematic universe. Like it's in <laughs> that's how very you similar. <laughs> this right? is um, in, the, it's like Fargo the series to Fargo. Like this got was all, you know it's the inspiration for Twin Peaks. I guess like some source on IMDb trivia says that this was mm-hmm. specifically inspiration for Twin Peaks. Yeah, I mean it's set in a logging town set. Like, mm-hmm. de- you know, what the crimes that lie beneath. What we were saying that this is like the first Lynchian thing. I think the thing that he gets, that he stays with forever, really, is uh, pastiche. Like, um, where he's like, 
where you're, 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 he's like making fun of Americana or, or absorb, like it feels like it when you first watch it. You're like, somebody that would make a movie this edgy clearly has to have this jaundiced eye view towards middle, you know, suburban 50s America. And so this is a pastiche. And I think, I think that's the thing that Lynch can hide behind because I think he actually likes those things. Wait a minute. So are you, do right, you think he's right. hiding? I think he's hiding behind pastiche. I think he really does like these things. No, he does like these things. I th- I th- yeah, I, th- I think, think the picket I, fences I and whether he's hiding or people infer him as hiding. Yeah, him. yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, is that I think that he can... That's the same can, difference, yeah. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. Is like, he can, in sophisticated art circle... Like, this was, like, this was... You know, he's he's the best... He's every French person's favorite director for a reason. And it's, you know... And, and I, I think that probably some of that's a little bit... Is this irony or is this real... And, yeah, um, and I think it. I think, I think he learned his real talent is oscillating between the two. I don't yeah. think, like you, you. I don't think jaundiced eye is actually a the term for what yeah, we're seeing I, here. I think, I don't think so either. But right. I think that he, I think the people that liked the movie at the time probably thought that it was a pastiche about saccharine conformity culture of the fifties. And I, I don't, I don't think Lynch saw that. But I also think that Ebert didn't see that as enough. No, no, I actually think, I think, I think Ebert pretty clearly missed the meaning of this movie. Yes, I do. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and Lynch is the kind of director who's like, who's like, well, if that's what you saw, I guess that's what you (laughs) That's He's he's not not going to explain. Yeah. He's not going to fight people on it or definitely. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Like anytime anybody asks, what's this film about? He's like, (laughs) or, you know. Famously, Eraserhead. He's yeah. like, well, I'm not gonna tell you. I guess we can get into what this movie, like our impressions about this movie. Like, what do you, what do we, what do you think of it, Hugh? Like, watching it. Oh, like just like on a basic level, did I enjoy it as a movie? Yeah, like your your <laughs> okay. general. This was the second impression. time I've seen it. The first time was like 2005, 15 years ago with you, and I saw mm-hmm. it for the first time. Um, the first time, like I said, I really only remembered Frank Booth, and. But watching it as a middle-aged guy <laughs> and not like <laughs> I am not no I'm no longer like the the Kyle McLaughlin character like age group right <laughs> so I yeah. identify I identify with the cop who's worried that his daughter is is doing <laughs> like making bad life choices right um yes. so I I still liked it I I like this movie and I think I like it for reasons that um we talked about the we've talked about in the text about how Lynch has got uh, he sees w- women as a binary, <laughs> so they mm. they're either, oh yeah he's got either, he's very I, much got a two types right he's got two types and the two types <laughs> yes. are uh, girlfriend material and I kind of mm-hmm. use that as a broad term but you know mm-hmm. in in Eraserhead he for instance does it's too. The, yeah it's in Eraserhead for instance it's the 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 girl that you go and meet her parents right that like mm-hmm. girlfriend material yeah, right. and then he's got the mystery Naomi movie. Watts is clearly that in, I, I don't know I haven't uh, seen that movie but we'll yeah. get we'll get to yeah. that uh, right mm-hmm. um but yeah I mean it's the woman in the people that want to describe is in, in Jungian terms which I kind of hate but it's like virgin or the whore yeah, right like, whore, sure yeah. i hate those yeah. i hate those two I, th- I like the lynchian versions better which is you know girlfriend material right, right. or mystery woman so <laughs> mystery woman. Right. how i view this movie a second time is that you've the central question of the of the movie is like 
and the, one of the character explicitly says it. It's like, why do Frank Booths exist? Hmm. Like, why? Oh, yeah. Why? So yeah. the secondary thing, the conclusion that you're that you're uh, actually watching is like almost a wire, you know, like the TV show, The Wire type cycle that you're seeing, like a circuit that's almost being completed throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, With, so you're saying that like you can see that like, Young like, Frank Booth was not much different than Kyle MacLachlan in the way that right. Omar and Michael's origins. Right, or or that more specifically, like Lord Dern's character is the proto Dorothy Valen, where she's yeah she's oh, definitely yeah. girlfriend material, but she literally her opening shot, she comes she emerges from the darkness outside her mm-hmm. own house mysteriously. Like, what was she doing out there? Why, mm-hmm. why was she in the dark? Why was she, you know so like. She is the girlfriend material archetype, but she could easily she's been throughout the movie. She makes the wrong decisions. She has a committed relationship that she like falters on. She is in she is in a transformative path to becoming the mystery woman. It's sort of like the snaking. And so at the end of the movie, you have the boyfriend and the boyfriend has his own gang of guys, much like Frank Booth's gang of guys. They're like the Muppet yes. Baby version. <laughs> They're like the Muppet baby version. Mm-hmm. And these guys, you could see how these guys in this small town could end up middle-aged in, in, in you know, in Harry, you know, um, yeah. like in uh, uh, Dean yeah. Stockwell's living room in, in 10 years, you know, drinking beer. Yeah. And, you, you know, you could see. So it's like the young people in this movie, ref, like, are on a path to becoming like the Frank Boots mm. and, and all the ancillary characters. That's what I got from it watching this time. Yeah, no, I I think cyclical. And I think that he. And to add to that, I I I think that it's specifically that rise in, like, you know, he does a lot to do that. The Kyle MacLachlan fantasies are, like, I think this is kind of a movie about like what David Lynch yearns for, which is a man that conquered his his evil. Maybe like right. oh, that's, sexual that's exactly drive. Yeah. What I was like, if you look, I mean, I said last time, if you look at it, it's kind of like an exorcism. Like yeah. if you look, I mean, it's all archetypes and very, you could look at it in a psychoanalytic point of view very easily and say, oh, it's David Lynch struggling with his own uh, shit. Like, like Mel Brooks mm-hmm. said, like he has I think some kinks or what problems. I think it's and I think it's like explicitly about that. Maybe I mean in, in David oh, yeah. Lynch's mind, yeah, yes, oh yeah. I, I mean, mean he dresses like, Kyle McLaughlin the... in the same outfit that up like yes. himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean it's... including the top and, button. You know, yeah, he yes, says the top why it's a strange world where why are there people like Frank? I think is the line and like and then later on and then Frank is dressed in the same kind of manner as Kyle McLaughlin's character. Yeah. Mm-hmm later on and so i mean it's like oh it's and then almost like at the end with if you look at it as a struggle between these two sides of uh who's gonna win out this two side the frank or the nice guy and uh jeffrey or whatever you know like at the end of it he blows that part of his brain out he gives himself kind of a it's almost a lobotomy because he blows you know and that the the way that the fucking brain blows out the back of his head is very visceral yeah when i was watching the end i was like this is kind of lame it's just if you like oh it's it's all 
50s kind of oh and now we're we're a couple and now oh, we're man. hanging out in the backyard they're doomed but if you though. look at it as like a a lobotomy almost it's like oh yes everything's great now and it's kind see of no weird, the, see there? that's the thing is i think that david lynch doesn't i think he legitimately wants to live like kyle mclaughlin in this yeah, movie i do too oh i i, I, I do don't too. think I, that i do too actually yeah i don't think that he views that as i mean maybe he does because i know he he one time said that he doesn't take medication for his OCD because he believe he's one of those guys as he believes that it will uh enhance his creativity. So like I know Yeah, that, he's a classic twentieth century macho artist. Yeah. Exactly. Ways. But I think that he he obsesses over that art that era and so he you know, I think that this is supposed to be like a real hero story. That's why it doesn't the character doesn't have any texture like he isn't jaundiced or anyone he's not somehow jaded by what he's seen in this town no he feels like he exercised a bad part of the town and now it's right again you know Mm -hmm. Uh, but the thing that i love about lynch the thing that like going through it now and i think that it's I think it has something to do is I think I get him better now because I'm trying to have a meditation practice like he does. And I feel like it's gave me a, like what his trick is. And it's mm-hmm. because the point of like meditation, uh, a lot of the, a lot of times is to, is to stop all thought and therefore you're only left with emotions. And then, so then you see it for me, at least what it is, is, is that you see that your emotions are not, or, or exist outside of the thoughts that you put to them. And so it strips them of righteousness or defensiveness or any of those kinds of things. And you're just like, I'm angry or I'm whatever. And so I've been approaching it by trying to see da- that David Lynch wants to live in a, in an emotion. Right. And like, um, like the feeling, like the literal, like f- emotional feeling of mystery. Like when you see something that's legitimately like, you know, you turn to your wife and you go, what the fuck is that? Yeah. That moment, that feeling yeah. that you, you get that little elation. It can yep. mean anything. The world of possibilities. Right. Anything like, and that's, he wants to stay in that yes, for a really long time. That's for an exactly uncomfortable right. amount of time. He, he wants yeah, to The be... emotional texture of a feeling. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, that's, that's why mystery is like interesting to him, I believe, too. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. And not in the, almost like not in the way that like, like I think it mystery is interesting to a Christopher Nolan. Um, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> he may, where mo- emotion doesn't really get involved at all. Christopher Nolan may may be like the polar opposite of Lynch I in a would, lot of ways. That's probably true. I guess we should talk a little bit about like rape. This movie isn't for everyone. This is movies that should have trigger warnings and and um uh it's it's yeah it gets a lot of rough stuff and and I and I would like. Yeah. The question of whether or not Lynch is a misogynist comes up mm-hmm. like over and over. Like it, it's like a dogged thing. And I yes. think that he is in the way that he was raised in a society that is. And yeah. so that like you cannot. And so unconsciously you one is and it like to like mm. expunge that from yourself takes like self-examination and like recognizing that the society that you live in is is like this so therefore you are about to have some hangups so to that degree i think he is i don't believe he is consciously one we talk about the lynchian um 
like motifs or like what is Lynchian. Mm-hmm. And he, he has his own origin story, which we've all talked about on this podcast, which yeah. where he sees the naked battered woman come down the street and he starts mm-hmm. crying as a, as a small child. So it's pretty mm-hmm. clear that he has, he has made this, this movie to exercise that particular, like to try to give that one moment of his life context. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. But also I feel like that moment clearly went into his spank bank as a child and did some stuff. Oh, right. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, it, that he's working through in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he's working he's like, working on himself here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it like as far as him being a misogynist or like I think for David Lynch like from it's like the art life comes first and he's like well I'm always up front the art comes first mm-hmm. and I'm sorry whatever wife I'm talking to you're always going to be secondary to the, the art but mm-hmm. I'm up front with that about with you about it yeah four wives I mean, is that what the article sent that James yeah four wives him? and he was with Isabella Rossellini for four years so like four right. and a half so, yeah yeah that's, that's oh man he's so much that's just like my dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh let's see yeah four wives and his uh and a half common law common law and i mean yeah, chronic and he's, and chronic he's pretty upfront about like yeah. this is how i am you can take or leave me and i, feel I like... think i think he's chronically cheating and i think that he i think his his current wife is i don't want to say it's an arrangement but i think that it's you know she's a young she's my age actually you know, I I, I I assume that there's not. Well, she's a lot not of in her mid seventies, so it's not like an, an age. Still, it's yeah. not like an age appropriate. Yeah, marriage. no, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I like I yeah. think it's a. I think it's an agreement. My dad's wife's younger than him, but she's not my age. <laughs> yeah, she's my older brother. <laughs> but yeah, I think that I think that they probably have some sort of agreement, uh, uh, like that people like Krista Bell can be in his life and stuff. He's clearly got a privileged position, and like if we're looking at him as like a a man sort of exploring uh, like the toxicity of male sexuality and specifically probably a very particularly his own sexuality. Because I do agree that these movies are about his misogyny. So like, he's like, you know, you feel like he's working on it. (laughs) Like, and and not in I don't know if he's working on that or he's just his misogyny is a detail that when he's working on himself gets. Oh, I think that he doesn't want to be, women but i think that there's a part of him that no no he does not yeah yeah if that's if that's where the line is you're right yeah he's working on that but yeah he definitely does not want to but i think that he feels that there's doorways in him that could go there but like going back to the ending of this movie just real quick in the context of what you were Hmm. saying that the guy who has four wives is the guy who wants to live in that moment at the end of the movie that everything is fine because yes. he can't think past that. That couple, mm-hmm. whether David Lynch knows it or not, is doomed. The Lord during oh, yeah. during, like he doesn't realize that. Like the David Lynch, the screenwriter, the creator, does not realize uh-huh. that those two characters have a relationship with the, like the shakiest of foundations. <laughs> like, yeah. And they they do not make it. If we went back to Lumberton in twenty twenty one. Those two are not together. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of like when the whole tone shifts and it becomes all like almost all saccharine. It's like, yeah, that's why it red is like until I unless I view it through a certain lens, it's like lens. It's like this. This ending is 
No. Endings are but, hard, but I that's, guess, but this is kind of That's like... the ending that he really wants, though. Like, he, I believe, mm-hmm. like, that. that's... A, oh, I know, yeah. That's what he really wants. And the guy who ha- ends mm-hmm. up with four marriages is probably perpetually that guy. You know what I mean? Or I else, mean, it's why one thing to want it? it, and then, two to expect it to be, like, a believable or satisfying ending for people that are trying to view it as, like, oh, this is a possible possibility. Why not? Why not? Because it's not sustainable in in a reality, right. and that's why it, it kind of takes a sheen of unreality. At I the think end. he's chose to live in that life, not worrying about that. Yeah, I think he he may have, but I think that makes fit for a rockier ending. <laughs> and he was privileged, and he would say, and he's the first one to say that he's privileged in that way. Um, oh yeah, but like. Like, yeah, he made a decision that women are not going to come first in his life. And I think it, and I think that says something to that emotion, too. Like, I think that you, you, that's a, like, he's not built like a normal person. Like, he, he does view, like, he does have these sensitivities and these, these, these things that stick with him. He's, he's got OCD. Like, he's said that, that that's been well diagnosed in him. He's an incredible weirdo. No one will uh, (laughs) say that he's not. Yeah. And so I think that he just thought that like, like there's people that live on the streets in Santa Cruz that could have been him exactly to the point that dude like you know whatever up oh, to maybe man. not dude but well I like I, I definitely that, think that he's if he's one he's one of the characters in the Frank Booth party scene in real life if he yeah. does, if he oh, doesn't yeah. make art Bill ba- ba- Brad Brad Dorf yes I don't even think that's a line in this movie no. What a waste of Brad Dorf. But I mean, I'm glad he's in yeah. there. I'm glad he's in there. Obviously, yeah, glad he got congrats on the check. But who could have played? He could have yeah. played Frank. And good for Jack Nats being in anything. He could have played any one of those guys. Could have played Frank Booth too. By the way, like that's what's interesting. Yes. Like Brad Dorf, Nance, any of those guys. Oh yeah. To the side, even Stockwell could have played. Um, any of those guys could have done a Frank Booth. Did you guys know the? Stop. Did you guys hear the or read the story behind the about Dennis Hopper and and the and hate the amyl nitrate? Did you guys hear that? Oh yeah, like the the whippets. Nope. Okay, so what I happened was that, yeah. I've got. I, I think I read it. Yeah. But you, you want me to read? I'm gonna re- just read it real. Yeah. Well, I heard it in the blue velvet extras, but anyway, the. He actually had David Lynch actually had on set. Oh, what's the stuff that helium in there? Helium. So, and every time he made made his, you know, Dennis Hopper's voice sound really high. So, he Hopper said, "Well, he would probably." Have... Oh fuck anything but move. Right. So Dennis Hopper mommy, mommy. said that he was really proud of himself because he was like, it sounded really high and and really and really silly and it might get laughed. So I suggested to David that what he's inhaling is amyl nitrate, which will you know I believe people... is poppers. Right, for... like what the, the gay nightclub. Oh yeah, that's what that's what poppers for... are. But sorry, that that what that will what? What were you saying? It will increase like like a like a sexual experience. So mm. oh yeah. So Lynch switched that, and then in the interview, Hopper said, which I was thinking for years, I thought I, I was a genius for doing that, and this was like in two thousand and nine that I saw the interview, like the videos. It was for the Criterion mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. And he goes, but then I thought it was stupid of me because how much, how much weirder could it have been 
to have Frank Booth on helium. Like it could have like he's like it was stupid of me because I stopped at David Lynch from being even more Lynchian. Yeah. And I kind of think that's that's interesting. So it's so it's it's nitrous oxide. No, amyl anal nitrate nitrate he knew which was amyl which what he knew was used to enhance sexual experience. Hopper only realized later how bizarre, therefore fitting the concept of helium breathing maniac talking with a high voice would have been. Yeah, amyl nitrate is what uh, they believe caused AIDS for like three years. <laughs> What? Yeah, I mean, it was a big gay drug. Like, it was pretty dumb. Like, they followed down that rabbit hole for a long time. Did you guys read about the Isabella yeah. Rossellini, uh, Laura Dern impression? Like, what she thought of Laura Dern? She recommended her for the movie, right? right? Well, okay, this is, yeah. The, David Lynch had not seen any of Laura Dern's previous uh, films. Isabella Rossellini, <laughs> Isabella Rossellini had seen Mask and was so convinced by her performance that she wondered why Lynch had cast a blind girl in the role that hadn't been written as such. <laughs> One of my favorite line deliveries in history is Isabella Rossellini on an episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> who was married to Jack Donaghy, Donaghy. She was his first wife. And they bought an Arby's together and they were arbitrating its oh, split. Yes. <laughs> and she said, damn you, you know I love my big beef and cheddar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... And it was the funniest, like, the best line reading ever. Yeah, so, that is pretty good. Uh, I think I, my favorite Isabella moment in, in uh, Blue Velvet is just when he's trying to calm her and he tries to put the shawl on her. He's like, no, I don't like that. Yeah, that was a good <laughs> moment. It was like the most real, like, I don't... Can we talk about a woman being in love with her dad? I mean, like, you know, her dad's a very complicated, like, uh, like tempestuous director. Her first husband was Martin Scorsese in, like, his worst. <laughs> like, right after Taxi Driver would even have a hit for four years. And then she he divorced her, and then she immediately shanked up with David Lynch, the Man. other most complicated director in the... Like... That's rough she, stuff. Uh, she, yeah, she had a type, man. And he, like, devastated. David Lynch just, like, and I think this is, like, key to who he is. Like, he just, they were with her for four years, and she said, I thought we were great. I was doing everything. I was committed. I was in love. And he just, he cut it off one day. He stopped it. That feeling went away. You know, like you said, their relationships mm-hmm. are doomed. That did, feeling went away. The Did you guys read much about what a nightmare the soundtrack was for this movie? Uh, I knew that like the songs were hard for them to get. Well, okay, so (laughs) so the producers, you know, Dino De Laurentiis didn't want to pay for the song Bobby Vinton's version of Blue Velvet. So yeah, he brought in Angelo uh, Baldamenti Baldamenti to to re-record Blue Velvet. David Lynch calls him his best friend, and has and he and that's probably because he's so accommodating. And can like yes. deliver, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So yes. Angelo suggested that they he he re-record it just like it originally was, and they'll actually get Bobby Vinton to come in and re-record it, and that would be cheaper. But his voice had dropped two octaves. Yes, they had to drop it two keys, and it didn't sound like the original one at all. So then David Lynch went, <laughs> but they still had to pay. I mean, the guy did the work, so they still had to pay Bobby Vinton, Bobby Vinton money or whatever. And then Dino <laughs> then had to go back and buy the original uh, rights. So that's what you hear. Okay, so if you think that is enough, David Lynch ex- originally wanted, at the end, um, wanted the song Song of the Siren by Mortal Coil 
to be playing when Sandy yes. and Jeffrey are dancing in the bar. On the floating, uh, because it was like one of his <laughs> all-time favorite songs. Yes. And this is like Euro grunge. Like it was like in the industrial music, like goth music. This was like birthday party type shit. Yes. Yeah. And he couldn't get, he couldn't get, he couldn't get clearance for this song. <laughs> and so he, and so Angelo was like, how about I just, if you write the words, you write the lyrics, I'll just do one that sounds just like it and get a singer that sounds just like the singer but you have to come up with the lyrics. And so Angelo goes to the, like, writes the music, hires a singer that sounds like the singer of Mortal Coil. And then, like, David Lynch, all he had to do on his end was, like, come up with the lyrics. And he, like, shows up one day and hands Angelo, like, a folded piece of paper. And it's got, like, six words on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he and he's like this. This isn't like this. Is, these aren't song lyrics. <laughs> these are like this isn't a song, David. And then David's like, just stretch them out. So that's <laughs> make the words bigger. Longer. That we are alive. Is that the <laughs> yes? This is it. exactly how the theme song for Twin Peaks was written too. <laughs> <laughs> are so you this serious? method has proved. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so... this is this is how ev- no. You're describing how every movie that David Lynch has scored since then has been scored. Angela, and I think on Battle of Menti has scored every one of his movies since. Probably because he's the only David one that Lynch could... talking to him. Right. Yes. It's like when you find somebody who could cut your hair just how you want. You Because <laughs> you could just give them. He says in Catching the Big Fish, he says... I would do that with Angelo every day if I could, but he lives in New Jersey. <laughs> and I was like, why would he not just move to L.A.? And then I was like, oh, because he doesn't want to do that every day. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David be over there every day. Uh, Balaventi wrote the theme song to Twin Peaks, which is one of the most haunting melodies of the 80s. And the favorite thing that I've always remembered from all of the times I've ever seen this movie is Dean Stockwell and that fucking light. And I think that is such a cool, that whole sequence from the getting in the car from the Paps blue ribbon, like the getting in the car Mm -hmm. and getting out the car and he goes, this is it. And they stop and they go into a place with a neon sign that says, this is it. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Everything about no, that it really scene. hits it. Everything there is like it, it's on a roll. There's there's that stretch in the. Yes. I know what you're talking oh, yeah. about, where it's just yeah. like every like two minutes you're hit with something, like uh, evocative, or great, yeah. or funny, or something, yeah, or right. something. I mean that, that that's the main sequence that I remember. Like I saw mm-hmm. this movie in college, and then I just had a goofy roommate that just liked to yell. Heineken, fuck Heineken, and, he, and then you know when he was drunk, he'd yell, "I'll fuck anything that moves," and laugh at himself. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I feel like uh, that was a, a lot of people that like this movie on a surface level just like that stuff. Like the it people was that, weird and cool. Like it was he played it had chomp chomp plus. It yes. was just random yes. weird exotic yeah. shit if you wanted it, or it was also like 
the sustained schizophrenic mood of like sexual like the sexual violence nexus like the whole way with these big women and the way that like just all of the fucking particular details all the way to the light like that he's not holding right. a microphone that he's and that was like improvised on set yeah because dean stockwell was holding it for a light reference or something and he was God, singing to that i was thinking about how hot that bastard must have been to hold that close to your face <laughs> oh yeah he's got all that that makeup on too mm. like, yeah how is it yeah. stockwell able to do that so perfectly too like that whole i'm just talking about like the whole characterization where it seems like it's high camp but it's weirdly like perfectly modulated how he keeps his yeah. eyes like like it's just these tiny slits he was mm-hmm. perfect mm-hmm. it's perfect yeah this movie's like glitch is weird because like i mean these big these biggest his height of his career is like in the 80s and i associate it with like a lot of like my my oldest brother who was like in high school and mm-hmm. starting college in the 80s was like oh i remember watching the elephant man when i was a kid because he was watching it and i feel like and same with like wild at heart he got a big kick out of just that and he's not like an artsy guy or whatever he's just like a you know he's in a he was in a frat mm-hmm. kind of guy like but but lynch and these movies were kind of like in the kind of like that air the zeitgeist or just these were like big movies that people yeah. would pay like, attention to yeah like there's a there's an edginess to them that i think is <laughs> like that's there, like that broadens his appeal outside of like right. the Godard circle. It's would, interesting you know, when something does have a broader appeal. Um, like when the Cohen brothers, their humor like penetrates with Americans, or it did for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And it sort of like my mom did, my mom loved Raising Arizona and she wouldn't sit through Barton Fink for a fucking second, you know? But like there's <laughs> something about like. Oh, like, or like the Old Brother Where Are Thou soundtrack is like the biggest like selling soundtrack. Oh, yeah. It's like this biggest selling CD. Everybody yeah. loves that. Yeah. yeah, everybody loves that movie. They they find a way to talk uh, to broaden like they're they're artists, they're cinematic, they're all tours, they're artsy fartsy shit, you know. And but they find a way to sort of have that like to broaden that out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. actually, like watching this and the watching. Uh, like uh, Eraserhead, and for some reason it just reminded me of Coen Brothers and like, except they're all cerebral working shit out, like like Barton Fink type. But mm-hmm. then like, there's like little moments, motifs that like feel like they're stealing li- like imagery from Lynch that I never noticed, like just like oh, hotel I... pipes and yeah, and the though like the street. Uh, there was something in this movie that I thought was a very much a Coen Brothers thing. Right, like Coen and then, Brothers. Like, well, did there's that like when the street side, the 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 lines on the street are going by, that's yeah. Blood Simple opening. But actually, this is he does that a lot on Lost Highway too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's later. Raising Arizona almost feels to me like a companion dealing with same similar issues of like he's trying to figure out what kind of man he's going to be and like whether he's going to be the guy running, whether he's going to be the the outlaw criminal or the family man is kind of like mm-hmm. the what raising Arizona is kind of examining, but in a Coen brothers cerebral kind of way. Whereas mm-hmm. this is 
he's is he Frank Booth or is he the Jeffrey nice guy? Which is he going to take the girl home to mom or you know whatever? But except instead of a rational kind of way that the Coens would deal with that question, it's all emotional landscape, which the Coens don't they can deal with, but not in a way that feels like they're struggling with anything themselves. Yeah, I feel like there's I feel a connection to how the Coen brothers frame things to how. Like, and I don't know if that's kismet or two artists, you know, with similar influences working together or I, I, I tend to think they were probably big, big David Lynch heads. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know who else is a David Lynch head? Who else? Lana Del Rey. She, yeah, (laughs) she covered, she covered this song, Blue Velvet. And I've got a quote about David Lynch on that. (laughs) Um, If you could bear with me real quick. This is from the Blue Velvet. Uh, song Wikipedia page. In an interview, David Lynch spoke out about Del Rey's cover. Lana Del Rey, she's got some fantastic charisma, and this is a very interesting thing. It's like she's born out of another time. She's got something that's very appealing to people, <coughs> and I didn't know she was influenced by me. So he seems to be like a fan of of hers, <laughs> which she also clearly fits into one of his. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. She is. Wanna, yeah. Exactly. She oscillates, but like her whole the, her whole thing is like a Lynchian. The two Lynchian yes. archetypes mesh together. Archetypes lynch together. The mystery woman and the girlfriend material like existing it like mm. at the same. It's interesting to me that somebody. I don't even know if the Coen brothers have done this or have had this happen to them, where like a, a recording artist has decided to like reinvent themselves into one of their films incarnate like she is a lynchian <laughs> film incarnate like by design like she is because that's not mm-hmm. her real name you know no and so no. it's lizzie something or you know it's something yeah but no she fashioned herself to have this sort of halcyon like like pastiche of of the bygone era yeah. that we romanticize but also have like a gritty underbelly to it yeah right so she's she's literally a lynchian um movie (laughs) a lynch movie made carnet and i don't know i didn't think about this i'm sorry and i i'm trying to think if the coen brothers have had anybody like a coen brothers movie made like made car carnet i had an idea that Uh, somebody somebody was hell it might be it might be bleachers i don't know (laughs) <laughs> Bleacher. I feel like to some degree, like Big Lebowski is kind of a lifestyle. <laughs> like, you know, and not just like a stoner lifestyle, but literally like I think there's like an idiosyncratic sort of like a, a, a ethos to, like that was just from Big Lebowski, like just from the appreciation of that movie. But I was going to say, I wonder if Blue Velvet appealed to the dirty grandma set it's kind of one of those movies too because it's about like in america they understand it's set in a world they know but it's got sexy gritty shit like so like i I, like that you're looking out for the dirty grandma set i think that i appreciate well i mean like dirty grandma i I, I worked in a this is I, i worked in a bookstore for years and the 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 person you meet the most in the bookstore is dirty grandma she is very real and she is very much doesn't care who knows who she is in a certain box. She's a sweet old lady who just likes to read books about hard, 
hard, dirty sex. And like, I think, <laughs> I mean, like, like that's the the sixty shades of fifty shades of gray. It was like that woman. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. That was the that was the culmination of that woman. And um, but I I think that they probably like I think that this movie is is a very well regarded movie and like well watched. Like it did it made money. Oh yeah. For Dino De Laurentiis, it did. Uh, right. like, well, say what you will about yeah. how fucked up those, it's a, that rape scene is, and then, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's fucked up, but it is also pretty hot. Like, I mean, <laughs> just since it's a sensuous movie, and you know what? It, I mean, it it works on that level, and it's disturbing how well it does. I, yeah, they actually like, cut out like their sex scene was longer. I think not the rape scene, the Kamaglock right. and her sex scene. Okay, and he yeah. cut it out because I think he was like, I don't know. I think that that was like they were worried about like, is this going to read pornographic and, right. and erotic? Yeah, there's erotic moments in there that I think work. Well, that's why that's why Val Val Kilmer turned down the movie, and he said if because of the script was because all that was what James was saying was in the script. And he's like, if mm-hmm. if the script was what they ended up filming, I would have ended up doing the movie, but the script was too mm. was just like too pornographic. I do know that. Okay, so like the story is of this is how because Dino De Laurentiis was the producer of Dune, and which was a calamity and ended very very angrily between him and Dino De Laurentiis and De, and the daughter. I keep wanting to say Gianna De Laurentiis, but that's the cousin like from yeah. the food network that's right, right, she's related right. to him but she's not the daughter this was like to pay him back they were like he was like you owe like he i think he made a case that you owe me because you took my film away from me and did all the shit to it and ruined it and all this shit and he was like fuck he was like and he was like he's like well why do would you want to come back to me i'm just gonna do it again and he goes because you're gonna give me final cut and then he was like i'm gonna pay you and he named like some sort of paltry amount of money and right. the movie had to come in under six million, and and he was like, and David Lynch was like, D- done. Well, all right, sure. <laughs> from, from what I saw on that is that they actually had a handshake agreement where De Laurentiis said, "I will give you final cut, but I cannot put that in a contract because then I'll have to give final cut to all these other directors." Uh, but oh, I will yeah. give I will give you a handshake that I will not cut your movie, and then yeah. And then they, and he huh. was like true to his word because he's, you know, one, yeah. yeah, yeah, old school Italian. He actually ended up having to form a distribution company because no one would cut distrib- distribute. <laughs> yeah, it. that's what he said after huh. screening yeah. it for the first time. He's like, "I'm gonna have to. I guess I'm guess I'm gonna have to form a distribution company because nobody's gonna distribute this." David, I, I like that story that David Lynch is like, "Deal done," and he goes and takes it and. And and sort of I guess sort of finds his groove. Like this is the success story. This is the if David David Lynch's story of a r- artist rising and 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 falling and 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 finding himself. This is the the making of this movie is kind of the end of that movie. Twin Peaks is next, and that was huge. I mean, yeah. so like you think yeah, this Peaks. was start of that, and then how big Twin Peaks was. Like I got lucky, man. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah. Like I, I was just thinking about what it took to make Twin Peaks be a national phenomenon. It had to be such a, a like a perfect storm in the zeitgeist. Like that movie is not just that show is just not a big success. Almost at any other time. Yeah, it's 
it's weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was perfect yeah. storm, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, cause... can I can I read off the the movies that Dino De Laurentiis has produced from 1980 to 1990, real quick? Yes. Okay. Sure. Uh, Malcolm, I'm just gonna read them in order, starting 1980. Flash Gordon, Halloween Two, <laughs> R- Ragtime, Conan the Barbarian, Fighting Back. <laughs> Amityville 2, The Possession, Halloween <laughs> Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Dead Zone, The Dead Zone, The Bounty, Firestarter, Conan the Destroyer, Dune, Cat's Eye, Year of the Dragon, Silver Bullet, Raw Deal, Maximum Overdrive, Manhunter, Blue Velvet, <laughs> Manhunter, that was that all came out this year. Everything you just it's like a do that or eighty six. Maximum, yeah. yeah. Uh, raw, raw deal. Maximum overdrive. Manhunter, Blue Velvet, all nineteen eighty six. Tai Pan, King Kong lives, uh, and then in nineteen ninety he did the Rift and Desperate Hours. So he had like quite a like a trashy run in the eighties. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They were like like. They were what, like, Manak and Manak, uh, Global and Globus, the canon guys, they wanted to be mm-hmm. Dino De Laurentiis. So yes. Bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That exactly. was their, that was the top of their mountain. He did the King Kong. That's what, that, the, one of the movies I was trying to think of. He did the 70s King Kong. The, the, the bomb. I mean, the one with Jeff he Lube. was Fellini's, he's and, Fellini's yeah. producer, though. Like, all the, like, Criterion yes. Fellini pictures, they're De La yeah. He, like, he produced those in the fifties and stuff. So like, mm-hmm. he had some real artistic I mean, he, pedigree. He did Mandingo. He did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. And he did. Oh, uh, didn't he, he? I know he did Hannibal. He's the one that's held. Yeah. He's the villain in all of the Hannibal like. Oh, he did. Fandoms. Oh yeah, he did Hannibal. If we're gonna go go he, and Red Dragon, Red and, Dragon, and Hannibal yeah. Rising, 2007's Hannibal Rising. Yes. He did the Bible in '66. I mean, he, yeah, he's all over the place. Oh, he did the Bible. I mean, like Army of Darkness, 1992. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Death yeah. Wish, you know. And he got his niece uh, to be a Food Network star all throughout the last decade. Did you hear, read, hear that story about him laughing during filming the rape scene? Yeah, yeah it's kind of fucked up. I had a theory about <laughs> you know, that. My, I have like a nervous laughter that like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. I, I'm a nervous laughter. Like if, when I'm nervous, I I can laugh. Like if if I get like if yeah, when Joni and I fight, I laugh a lot, and it doesn't always work right. out well. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, yeah. That's the Joker. I haven't seen the movie The Joker, but that's isn't he afflicted with that? I, well, he's like giving people cards. I have a condition. Yeah, I don't have that. Yeah, yeah, I don't have that either. But like, I just it's something I notice about myself where I'm nervous. You know, I can modulate well, it, but. I would imagine that was probably traumatic. Sometimes that was probably traumatic for Isabella Rosalie. But did you hear about the other nude scene that she had to do, where she comes out in the house, the the one with her on the street? Yeah, yeah. And um, like, and this is I don't think David Lynch's fault. Like they had to sign some sort of contract with whatever town that they were shooting in. They were in North Carolina. Yeah, the whole town came out to to watch the filming, and and he was like, "I didn't okay this," and he and the mayor wouldn't make them leave, and so they had to film this nude scene with Isabella Rossellini, where like the whole town gathered, like the fucking like the lottery or something, and (laughs) 
And, like, David Lynch couldn't stop it. Like, he couldn't make the move or whatever, and they just ended up having to shoot the scene. And I think that was pretty traumatic for Isabella Rossellini. Damn. Mm. Yeah. It's- Godly. One of Ebert's biggest issues was, like, the misuse. Uh, like, he felt like the movie, he makes sort of an accusation that the movie abused her. By I, by not making a better movie is what Ebert said, but also that like that that he wants that to know if it's for a reason. Was, That's what he kept on saying. Like, yeah, if she's gonna be yeah, abused. If yeah. I'm gonna watch this woman go through this trauma, I want to know that it's for a reason. And I just don't think that he understands. Like we understand David Lynch's origin story. Like we know his yeah. motivation. If if mm. it's just to make a weird movie, like if you don't know that and you're just watching this and you're yeah. like, this is just a weird movie with a fake bird at the end. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like <laughs> I could kind of, I could, that's my thing is I could kind of see where he was going. Like he got, he's wrong. He doesn't understand like a larger context that this mm. is a, the, the vision of somebody who's been traumatized or had a traumatic experience mm. as a kid. But no, they shot this um, in people's houses, like so. Yes, and because you know, David Lynch is like you. You can't like the, you cannot believe the real stuff in people's houses is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> that's the David Lynch I like. That's what I want to be more like. Is that he's got that eye for those things. Like everything is so like. He's like, he's got that, like, he's got drug energy. Like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't take drugs. Like, I know he smoked weed in the 70s, but, like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't do that shit. But, like, what is it? He's He's got, got he's got, like, wow, this is verisimilitude. So, like, he knows when he needs to dial up realism on the fader to make it look like somebody's real house and how that's perfect. Yeah. And then he knows Mm -hmm. how to uh, dial up the the, the surreal, like, by having a Mm. stuffed bird as a puppet you know <laughs> eating yeah. a bug and then i swear and then that woman says and this is what david Lin- uh david foster wallace always glommed on about them like the detail is that when they're looking at the bird at the end and all the symbolism of the robin they boy they lay it out you know and oh yeah it's great <laughs> yeah when that opening uh scene i was like all right i get it david yeah it's <laughs> when if the bugs and the grass like, yeah the, the mm. thing What's lying underneath this kind of suburban yeah. facade, or what? It's like, yeah, I get it. With, and the, with robins the dog sparking, drinking the, the water. And then, so she's eating, the, and and the old lady says, "I don't think, I don't understand how anything could eat a bug." And then she puts oh, something yeah. in her mouth that looks like a fucking bug. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it had legs and shit. And yeah. she goes, "I don't know." And that had to be like a detail. Like that was a detail that he modulated. And, you know, like that, that's what he does. That, that's, that's what he does. That's his superpower. That, that's his cinematic superpower. At this, I think, what, like, mm-hmm. at this point of watching, you know, in, in this order it is. I, I don't know if that diminishes over mm-hmm. time or only gets better. I was seeing these things develop in it. Yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that carries over. Yeah, like, when does he misstep or when does he? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, I haven't watched uh, Wild at Heart. And... Yeah. That's the one that I don't. It's hard to find. Yeah, I. It's the one that I. I, I think the least of. Actually, uh, that's going why into I, it. So I, I don't know. I'm really excited about it because mm-hmm. I remember liking that Me more too. than any of them. Um. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that that holds up for me. I'm afraid it won't. Yeah, I'm. 
I feel like it's it's almost the uh, the destroy of the '90s movies. Uh, <laughs> talking about that's a <laughs> that's a deep the cut predecessor, predecessor to all this kind of you know we talked about uh, natural born killers and stuff and that kind yeah. of shit. Like, yeah, I think that I, in my mind it, it's kind of a natural born killers like '90s edge edgy movie. And I, and I don't know how yeah. but, much of my fill I've had at that like in 2004. I don't know how much of my fill I had of Nick Cage as a weirdo. Yeah. Now yeah. it's Boy. right, right. Coming place. on the end of the last twenty years of Nick Cage as a weirdo. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning and you know, nineteen ninety Cage as a weirdo and see how it plays. Yeah. He. Uh, I'm. I'm interested to see this. I mean, Laura Dern is. Uh, her and I haven't seen Inland Empire, which is that's the one I haven't seen of his. Which she's the lead of. That's the only other yeah. movie she's in, but she's in the third season of Twin Peaks. Um, like she's amazing in the third season of Twin Peaks. I'm like her evolution. Like she's she's probably my favorite actress. Like I think I think that's like I just think she's just, she's just she's just fucking good. You know, you just put her in something, yeah, it's yeah. automatic. I mean, Isabella Rossellini so... thought she was a blind girl because <laughs> <laughs> of Mask. I need to see that. That, not Mask, but her first movie is on the Criterion channel where she's like an actual teenager in it. And it's like, uh, I might watch that. Uh, and then I was thinking the other movie she did in the, around this time was uh, Alexander Payne's first movie. And I've thought about going and watching all the Alexander Payne movies at some point because Citizen Ruth. Oh, but this is, I, I did, I did Wild at Heart, something to look forward to, has Eddie Dane in it, so. Um. Oh, yes, it does have uh, Eddie Dane, <laughs> Eddie Dane's <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, something to look forward to. John Laurie is in it? Yeah. I know that. Uh, oh, another little uh, tidbit, uh, night, uh, uh, for bringing it back to Blue Velvet real quick. Um, yeah, it was Woody Allen's favorite movie of 1986. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, loaded. Uh, all right, I, uh, I, I guess uh, we're done. I'll talk to you guys later. All right, three to lynch out for right. some lynch out. <laughs>